In the Presbyterian Church of America, we believe in the providence of God, uh, which tells us that God governs, rules over all things according to his will. Uh, He is in control of every detail of life. And no matter if we think he's out of control or our lives are out of control, God is in control. And we have an illustration of this today. Uh, Barrett and Brianne uh, had planned to come, but we did not have a plan for them to come and speak at the service. And, uh, you know, I've been planning to preach through Mark and today you're going to see two strands come together because Barrett's already preached my sermon for me right here. And everything that he is saying is reinforcing exactly what we're going to be looking at from Mark chapter 6. It is amazing uh, to see the providence of God at work. I think God is trying to underscore and reiterate something to us. Of course, every Sunday, every time we open God's Word, it is God's Word and He wants us to hear what He has to say But when something happens like this that you did not plan and it all just comes together and intersects, you've got to think, wow, you know, this is something very special that God is saying to us today. So with eager anticipation, uh, let us hear what God has to say. I mean, I I looked at this passage all week and I was very discouraged um, looking at it. I wanted to, I almost skipped it because I thought, you know, I don't really have anything to say about that. But I thought, you know, this is the whole counsel of God and I'm called to preach it all. And so I said, I'm not skipping that, and I'm going to wrestle with it and see what the Lord has to say. And I think he really is uh, wanting to say something to us today. So let's hear what God has to say to us. Chapter 5, just to back up, uh, you know, he has just done some miraculous healings in chapter 5. Healed a demoniac uh, that had been, you know, left to his own devices and was abandoned by all people and left in a cemetery. Uh, He healed that man. He, he healed uh, the woman with the flow of blood who had suffered 12 years and no physician could help her. He healed uh, Jairus' daughter, raising her from the dead. Um, amazing stories in chapter 5. But here we come to chapter 6. You know, we come off the mountaintop, now we go down into the valley. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, 
John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. How do these, these three things fit together? That was the task, <laughs> what, what I was faced with this week. And uh, there is a common thread running through these uh, three different stories, these three different uh, sections of Mark's gospel telling us about Jesus and some of the events that have happened around his life and ministry. Uh, I want to begin by sharing with you two uh, background points that will help build a framework so that we can, I can fit my three, uh, three, sermons of my, three points of my sermon into. And the first two introductory points are this. Number one, Jesus has a kingdom mission. And number two, Jesus has a church for his kingdom mission. Now first, Jesus has a kingdom mission. If we were to flip back a couple of pages and and we would look at the first words of John the Baptist when he appears on the scene, we see that he said and he preached to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was preparing the way for the arrival of Christ, it tells us. When Jesus began his ministry, he said exactly the same thing. His first recorded words during his ministry were, Uh, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is ushering in uh, a a kingdom. He is the great king. He's the king of kings. And uh, the world had been lost due to sin. Uh, The world was not designed to be a broken place. Death was not, uh, we were not designed as human beings to die, but to live eternally. But when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the world became a broken place. Sin entered in, and death and illness, all the things that Barrett mentioned a while ago, uh, those things entered into the world. So the world is a broken place. But God did not sit there and say, you know, the world is broken, and I need to do a 
I need to scratch this world and start all over again. No, he loved his creation and he sent the great king into the world to capture it back, to restore it and to redeem it and to save it. And Jesus, when he came to earth that the first time, he, he began ushering in his kingdom. Therefore, we see him healing the sick, restoring the sight to the blind, raising the dead, preaching the gospel, the good news about salvation, how a person can be restored in their relationship with the creator of this universe. John the Baptist was the precursor of Christ, and he was preaching the same things. So Jesus has this mission that he is on. When we read Isaiah 52, it said this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Well, the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the first missionary. And we often say the Apostle Paul was the first missionary because he went out uh, from the church in Antioch and started planting churches, preaching the gospel. But Jesus Christ was actually the first one that was sent by the Heavenly Father to earth to bring salvation. And that's what he did. He published peace. He brought shalom. And shalom is much more than just peace. It's a, a state of well-being. It's things being like they were meant to be. And Jesus started restoring uh, the sick and the broken. And that work began with his first advent. He also brought the good news of salvation, that uh, God is reaching out to people and trying to restore that relationship, and he's going to restore the relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. He's going to publish salvation. He's going to save us from bondage to sin and death and even hell. So Jesus has this mission. Now, Jesus has a church... For his mission, you know, we often talk about the church having a, a, a mission or we have a mission. But really, the mission is God's mission. He's the one who sent Christ. Jesus came on a mission. And because he wanted to extend that mission out into the world, Jesus created the church. The church is the agent that carries out God's mission to the world to bring peace, to, to bring good news, to publish salvation. That's the purpose of the church. We see it here in this passage. Uh, we have the body of Christ, the church, and we believe that the, the church today, we are just the extension of the Old Testament people of God. So there's one people of God throughout uh, all time, and when uh, Christ came in, that advanced his kingdom into the world, the church being that institution, the people of God who are united with him uh, in his salvation and in his mission. And so we had the Old Testament people of God and then the New Testament church, which is an extension of that. And the Bible tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. We're part of that building, we who are believers and, and the Lord is building that temple. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that temple. So Jesus appoints the apostles here in our passage, and it's not a mistake that he chooses 12. How many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12 tribes. And so Jesus is saying, now we have, I'm forming the new people of God through faith in me, 
through people who follow me. And so the, the apostles form the beginning of the new Israel. And they're going to carry out, and that's what the apostles are told here to do, to go out. That's what the word apostle means, one who is sent. They're going out and they're extending the reign of Christ and the benefits of his kingdom into the world. And Jesus has a church for that. When Jesus gave the Great Commission to the disciples, it says that Jesus told them, look, meet me at a certain place at a certain time. And they they met Jesus there. And it tells us in Matthew 28, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Why did they doubt? Well, they thought of Jesus as a political Messiah. And they thought he was going to restore the nation of Israel. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to be a political leader. He, he had a bigger plan and a bigger mission than that. And so he said, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm sure all the disciples who were doubting breathed a great sigh of relief. Yes, whew. You know, we thought he was the one, and then they killed him, and we thought it was all over, and now he's raised from the dead, and so he's saying all authority has been given to me. So, yes, he's the great king, and he's going to go start taking over now. Great. But Jesus said, now, all authority has been given to me, so you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, yes, I am that great king, so you, as my agents, go. Again, Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends to heaven. It says, they came together, the disciples and Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, they're still thinking politically uh, for Israel to be restored. And Jesus replies, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he answers is this, to, to the question, is this the time? We're, I'm not going to tell you because it's only the Father who knows the time when this will all happen. But is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? No one knows the time except the Father. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they're thinking, Jesus, what are you going to do? And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to do it through you into the world. When Luke writes uh, his Gospel of Luke and then write Acts, the beginning of Acts, he says, you know, in my former book, I told you about what all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And in Acts, which tells us the history of the early church, the implication is that Now I'm going to tell you what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. Even though he's not here, he's doing it through his church. So, Jesus has a mission. He came on a mission. The church is carrying out that mission. And we as individual members of the church, we have the responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations, to reach out to those around us with the gospel, and to be his witnesses wherever we are in our spheres of influence. Now, three points about this mission, and these won't take very long. Three things. This mission of Christ that the church is called to take up is three things. First, we see that it's offensive. Secondly, we see that it is urgent. And finally, we see that it is dangerous. 
And these three correspond to our three sections. In the first section, we have this, uh, that the mission of Christ is an offensive mission. We have Jesus going back to his hometown of Nazareth where he grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, fled to Egypt. They settled in Nazareth for a time. And when Jesus began his public ministry, he'd actually moved to Capernaum. And that, began the, that was the beginning of his, of his ministry in Capernaum. But here he takes a special trip to Nazareth, and he reaches out to the people there. But they have a real problem with Jesus. They don't deny that he's done mighty works and has lots of wisdom. Uh, they, they understand that he does great things and he says wonderful things, but they cannot get past the fact that they, they know where he came from. He did not have any special teaching. We know his parents. We know his brothers and sisters. They're not anything special. How is Jesus so special? Something's up here. This, this doesn't add up. And instead of looking at what Jesus said and what Jesus did and examining... Uh, what his claims were on the basis of his word and his works, they rejected Jesus. Isn't that true of so many people today? You know, they they reject Jesus without ever examining what he said at all for the simple fact that it is not fashionable to be a Christian in our day and time. I was a missionary in, in England, and in Western Europe it's much worse than it is here. It's much darker spiritually. And I would challenge people with that with that very idea because most of them had never been to church. Most of them had had never even read the Bible, but yet they would mock Christianity. They would reject it uh, just immediately without ever even considering it. And my question to them was, Jesus Christ was the one most important person who's ever walked the face of the earth. He has had more of an impact in history than anyone who has ever lived. This is undeniable just reading a history book, not to mention what he actually said. So to just say, oh, everybody else has rejected it, so I'll reject it too, that is foolish. And he ought to at least be examined and looked at and studied. And if you can read him and see what he said and reject him, then fine, do it. But don't come to me saying Christianity is rubbish when you haven't even really examined it and looked at looked at it. That's ridiculous. And it not only goes for those people, but it goes for us as well. Have we ever wrestled with what he actually said? And do we take it seriously? Uh, do we think of who he is and, and what he's, who he's claimed to be, the Son of God, and he's, he's speaking to us and doing these things? Do we really take it seriously? These people were offended at, at him. And, you know, that is the character of Jesus. Paul tells us that he is the stumbling stone. Uh, He tells us that the Jews uh, versus the Gentiles, you know, the Gentiles were putting their faith in Christ, but the Jews were persecuting the church. And he tells us that they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And that's the same word, stumble, as offended here in the passage that we're looking at, to be offended, to trip over it. You know, you can't get past it. It's something that's in the way. But Jesus is that stumbling stone. When you come to him, it's like coming to a fork in the road. You have to make a decision to go one way or the other. He, he calls you, invites you to faith, to trust in him. And every time you encounter him, it's one or the other. You either reject him or you trust him more. This present age that we're in is an age of decision. It offers us these two possibilities, faith or unbelief. That's the mission of the church. 
We are called as an extension of Christ's mission to call people to faith and repentance, to promote Christ, the stumbling block, and hopefully they won't get crushed by the stone, but will embrace it, and he will become the foundation of their church, of their life, of their person. So it's offensive. Herod uh, was offended by repentance. John the Baptist was telling him, you, you can't do what you're doing. You can't live like you're living. You are living in sin. He was offended by repentance. He did not want to humble himself and submit to Christ because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he did not want to look bad in front of his guests. So he had a man beheaded whom he knew was a, was a godly man and whom uh, he listened to repeatedly and was enamored with what he was saying. But he rejected it. See, he went down the wrong fork in the road. So the mission of Christ is one that calls us to call people to faith and repentance. We need to understand and not be surprised that it is an offensive message because we're calling people to humble themselves and submit to Christ and to, to recognize that they're broken and they can't fix themselves and they're sinful. And that's not a pleasant thing to think about for ourselves or for anyone else to think about as well because you have to come face to face with the fact that you're messed up and nobody likes to admit that. But you can't get fixed, uh, uh, you can't get healed unless you come to the great physician. Just like you, you can't get well sometimes when you've got a real illness unless you go to the doctor and get some medicine for it. And Christ is the medicine that we need for our sin-sick souls. Second thing. Uh, the mission of Christ is not only a, an offensive mission, but it's an urgent mission. When Jesus calls the twelve to go out and extend his work, to cast out the demons like Jesus has been doing, to heal people like Jesus has been doing, to call people to repentance like Jesus has been doing, uh, he tells them, don't pack your bag. You know, hit the road and let's go. Go out. Travel light. Don't waste time. God will give you everything you need to accomplish his mission. It's true for us today in this church and us as individuals. God has given us everything we need today to be completely faithful to do what he's called us to do. And we might think, well, we're a small church and we don't have a lot of resources. No, God has given us everything we need to do exactly what he wants us to do today. And if he wants us to do something more tomorrow, he'll give it to us tomorrow. But we've got everything we need today. The disciples had everything they needed to go out, preach the gospel, uh, to heal people, to cast out demons. And they went and did it. They were on the mood. And, it, and if they got rejected, they didn't sit there and lick their wounds or, or whine about it or moan about it. He says, you know, just shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. And that's exactly what they did. And we see Jesus doing the same thing. He preached in Nazareth. They rejected him. He went out to the other villages and he extended the kingdom there. One of my favorite movies is Kelly's Heroes. I don't know if I'm allowed to recommend that movie. It's a little got some off-color parts, but uh, overall, it's a it's a fun movie. Uh, you have these guys, this company of soldiers in World War II, and they're really beleaguered. You know, they they have been fighting and fighting, and they haven't had a break. And then they finally do get some R and R, and they don't go to any place exciting. They're go, they're they're stuck out in the middle of the wilderness with with nobody else except themselves, and they're sick of one another. Well, in one of their battles, they find out that the Germans have a stash of gold in a bank behind enemy lines. So instead of taking their R&R &R in this desolate place, they decide, you know, we're going for the gold. And so they take off. They get all the supplies, you know, through uh, conning people, and uh, that's part of the story. But they get everything that they need 
to go, and they, they set out. They go behind enemy lines. They're trying to get this gold, and, and the commander of the army finds out about it. He hears these people over the, the radio using code words. They didn't know who they were, and, but it was Americans, and they were behind the enemy lines, and, and Carol O'Connor was the general, and he's like telling them, go, 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 advance, because some of the other colonels and, and captains were saying, we don't know who these people are that's unauthorized. They, they shouldn't be doing this, and, and we need to stop them. And Carol O'Connor's going, no, no, and he grabs the radio and he's saying, go, fellas, go, do it. You know, don't let up. This is the kind of army we need. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I've been talking about. So he gets really fired up. And it's a lot of fun. But that's, that's like the mission of Christ. You know, it's easy to become beleaguered and to, to, uh, to sit back and examine everything and to think too much about it. We just need to go and advance. Don't look back. Keep our hand to the plow. It's of the utmost importance. It's the mission of God himself. It's his heart to reach out to people. And let's grab hold of that mission. It's an urgent one. Well, finally, it's a dangerous mission. We see that in this episode with John the Baptist, how it's described. Um, This Herod here is Herod Antipas. His father was Herod uh, when Jesus was born. That put all the little babies to death trying to kill Jesus because he had found out about this great king. Well, the apple didn't fall far from from the tree because his son Herod Antipas was, was a despicable character as well. The funny thing is that the word Herod is a derivative of hero. And these people were anything but heroes. So we've got Herod Antipas, and he, uh, he fell in love with Herodias, and, and somehow they're all related, which is kind of creepy uh, in and of itself. But he ends up taking his uh, brother's wife and marrying her, and I think he even killed Herod Philip, his brother. So Herod Antipas has Herodias, who is also related to him, and... Uh, John the Baptist tells him, you know, you can't do that. That's, that's wrong, and you know it's wrong. And Herodias got really irate about it. She didn't like John the Baptist telling them that. But Herod, it says in verse 20, he feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. See, he didn't know it was right. And he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. That word perplexed there means he, he did not know what to do. Uh, he, he was just at a loss when he heard John preach. He heard the message of repentance, but he could not go forward. He did not have the character to. And so Herodias' daughter comes to a feast that he's having, and she does this evocative dance. And uh, in his semi-drunkenness, probably, and in his bravado with a bunch of men who are commanders and captains of his army, he says, you know, I swear that I will give you up to half my kingdom. And we know that Herodias took the opportunity uh, to have John the Baptist beheaded. It tells us, as I read before, that it was because of his oaths and his guests that he put him to death. He had made this vow, and he didn't want to look bad in front of all these men that he was commander over. Not much of a hero. But this tempers the, the, the mission of the disciples. The previous section, the disciples go out. It tells us in verses 12 and 13 that they healed the sick. They cast out demons. You know, they had success doing what Jesus had called them to do. 
And here they come back. But this story is here to remind us that it is a dangerous mission. John the Baptist was doing what Christ had called him to do. What God had, he was carrying out the mission of God to be the forerunner. And he lost his life because, of he, because he was faithful to it. And it's just a reminder to us that the mission is a dangerous one. But it's okay because it's God's mission. And as we learned last night uh, from the missionaries who started SIM, uh, the, the mission agency that, that Barrett and Brianne are, are going to Malawi through. The three founders of this mission uh, tried to go into the inner part of Africa for the first time. They wanted to open that up. The coastal part was open to the gospel, but they wanted to break into the, to the middle, to the jungle, to the dangerous parts where there was disease and tribes and, and warfare. And so these three young men, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age, uh, went out. One of them contracted malaria on the way, uh, had to stop, tried to go, contracted it again, ended up having to go back home and uh, became a support raiser for the mission. The other two died within a year. And I'm sure I don't want to steal Barrett's thunder when he actually does share his presentation with us, but one of the men before he died wrote a letter to his mother and he said, you know, even in death, the mission has not been a failure. The one who was left behind uh, shared the story and built the mission up. And it wasn't long before, of course, the, the, the inner part of Africa was open to the gospel. Africa used to be the dark continent. Now it probably home, uh, is, is home to the fastest growing church in the world, uh, maybe there or Asia. But what was once the dark continent is no longer the dark continent. Europe is now considered the dark continent. But three men going out. Twelve men went out here. And what was said of them in Acts, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, people said when they were perplexed. God can do some great things through, through just small people tackling the dangerous mission, the difficult mission, going forward, advancing, being faithful to what he's called us to do. As I said before at the beginning, chapter 5 is a chapter full of belief. Chapter 6 is a chapter full of unbelief. Each of these sections speak to us about repentance and faith. Jesus called people to repentance and faith. Uh, the disciples went out proclaiming uh, repentance and faith. John the Baptist proclaimed repentance and faith. What about us? You know, repentance, if you're not a believer today, repentance is offensive. You have to come to that place where you recognize that, yes, I am a sinner, and you have to admit that, and I'm broken, and I need to be fixed. Well, it's on offer. Jesus Christ came on that mission to fix us, to, re to redeem us without money and without cost. It's free. Uh, you know, we talk about what we deserve in our culture. You, know, we, you hear the debates, you know, you deserve this or you deserve that, and I'm the candidate to provide that. And the commercials on TV talk about all that we deserve. You deserve a break today. You know, you deserve this, that, or the other. But, you know, the, really the only thing that we deserve is death. We really only deserve hell. And you have to come to this place to recognize that, that, that I don't deserve anything. I deserve the wrath of Almighty God. And, and until you come to that place and recognize that, then you've never repented. If you've never come to that place, you've never repented. And you can't put your faith in Christ because they go hand in hand. Unless you see your inability and brokenness, you will never look to somebody else to provide what you can't provide. You have to recognize it. It's urgent. You don't want to be like Herod. Later in Herod's career, 
he encounters Jesus. Uh, Jesus is on trial. He's being accused right before his crucifixion. Pilate first sends him to Herod. And he questions, tells us in, in Luke 23, he questions Jesus with a barrage of questions. He's curious. And Jesus will not answer him at all. It was too late for Herod. Now, he had refused to repent, and there was no more offer of repentance at that point, and he wasn't even looking for it. But Jesus didn't even talk to him. At one point, Jesus' own family rejects him. We've, we've already studied that. But later, they turn. So it's not too late. The opportunity is here even today to repent. James became the pillar of the Jerusalem church. But he was one of those who questioned and rejected his own half-brother. It's not too late. The Lord can work in your life today. It's dangerous. You know, we are called to take up our cross. You know, it's not comfortable to be a Christian. But it's dangerous. But count the cost. It's, it's worth it when you weigh it against what you lose if you do not repent. If you're a Christian today... I want to encourage you to take up the mission of Christ. Continue to be humble and repentant. It's a posture of our lives to be humble and repentant. We never arrive. God is always working on us, uh, making us more holy. Uh, be encouraged that you do have the acceptance and friendship of God. You know, he, he has brought us into relationship, and we are not rejected by the only king that matters. And he has a a great plan of redemption for the world. And, and he gives us the great honor and privilege of being part of that work. And uh, that's what we're living for. That is our ultimate hope. That is the anchor of the, the soul, even when it gets dangerous. The Lord will provide for his people, and he's got a great plan for them for the rest of eternity. And it far outweighs everything that this earth has to offer. We were talking about death yesterday in our men's Bible study uh, on Ecclesiastes. And uh, we were talking about enjoying life. You know, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us to enjoy life. You know, yes, it's going to end, but God has given us many good things in this life to enjoy. So enjoy it. But we were, we were kind of encouraged and sobered. For the Christian, this life is as bad as it's going to be. For the non-Christian, this life is as good as it's ever, ever going to be. Think about that. Let's pray together.